Good morning. There we go. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. One of my favorite things about this congregation is how how like how much of, of a family we are. That I I genuinely believe that if I didn't stop you, you would just hug and shake hands for the next hour. So I love it. Good morning. My name is Dylan Adams. I am the youth leader and a deacon in training here at Pierce Point Community Church. It is an honor to be here to be able to speak to all of you. Um, welcome to everyone here. Welcome to everyone watching online. Um, I've got a lot to go through today, a lot to unpack, um, but I promise to have you out of here by next Sunday. So. And I might grant you like an intermission in between. I haven't decided yet. So. <laughs> Right. All right. Um, one thing that, not really pertaining to this topic, but um, it's it's interesting. So, you know, Adam Adam and I don't talk about like the songs that he's going to play or anything on a Sunday morning. But it's ironic to me that the Sunday that I am blessed to be up here preaching, um, my one of my favorite songs is the um, uh, the second one. The uh, what is that? What is that called? It's uh, like I, 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 yeah, my king forever. Um, one of my favorite songs, and then the the third one, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. That is the song that I sing to my baby girl every time she's sick, not feeling well, hurt, upset. So, really, just uh, feel feel like the Lord's present and He's speaking to me through through Adam. So, thank you, Adam, and the entire worship team for everything that you guys do. Okay, so. If any of you have watched any TV show or anything uh, that's got a lot of episodes or a lot of seasons, sometimes you'll start an episode and it'll kind of give you a uh, previously on whatever. So before we get started, because we've, and I didn't realize how much of Genesis we've gone through until I started looking into, what I, into my chapter today, but I'm going to kind of do a uh, previously on, the book of Genesis. Um, really quick, we're going to run through it. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time digging into anything, but I want to prepare you for where we are now. Okay, so I'm going to run through this. Just bear with me. We have covered the creation of the world, the creation of man and woman, the fall of man and its consequences, the cursing of the serpent, the first murder, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, and the Lord's promise to not destroy the earth with a flood again, the rainbow, that covenant, the Tower of Babel, confusion of languages, descendants of Shem, Abraham born of Terah, that's important. That's all important, but that's important. Abraham's journey to Egypt and Sarai being taken from Abram, but then returned twice. <laughs> uh, Abram and Lot go, goes their separate, separate ways. Abram saves Lot after he's held captive. Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek. God promises to Abraham a son, his own heir. Abram believed what the Lord had said, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God makes a covenant with Abram and tells of the future. Sarai tells Abram to go into one of her, her maids, Hagar, taking God's promise into their own hands. Hagar becomes pregnant with a boy. Sarai is despised in Hagar's sight. Sarai treats her harshly, and Hagar flees. Hagar is then found by the angel of the Lord, and is prophesied to and told to go back and submit herself to Sarai. And then Hagar bears a son, and his name is Ishmael. What do we need to, go, need to know going into chapter 17 of Genesis? That is what I've been tasked with talking to you about today. Here's a few things. At this point, Ishmael is at the age of, let's say, 12 or 13. Um, this chapter finishes with him being the age of 13, so give or take. 
Um, it is also believed by many scholars that this is the first time that there has been a direct, this is the first time that God has directly spoken to uh, Abram and Sarai since the incident in chapters 15 and 16. Um, why is that important? Well, last week, Nathan talked to us about being patient, right? He talked to us about not taking God's promise into our hands. Uh, the phrase that he used, and I wanted to just bring this to your remembrance, is waiting is a period of learning. It is believed that, it, that it's been at least 13 years since they have directly heard from the Lord in this situation. Oh, what faith they must have built in that time. Waiting is a period of learning. They messed up in chapters 15 and 16, if you didn't know. Um, and they, it's in 13 years. They've probably learned a few things about not taking things in, things in their own, own hands at this point. So keep that in mind as we, as we go through this. Um, I'm going to read through all of chapter 17 without stopping, and then we're going to break it down together. Sound good? All right. If you want to follow, around, follow along, again, it's Genesis 17. There will, won't be anything on the screen. Sorry. But we all have Bibles on our phones or paper Bibles in our hands. And if you don't have either, there's Bibles on either side that the youth use on, on Thursday. So you're welcome to those as well. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall, you shall be, the, be the father of, of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be gods to you and to your descendants after you, I will, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, now is for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout, throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she, shall, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, 
Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you, bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among, among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the very same day Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. That was all of Genesis 17. And yes, I am the lucky one that gets to talk about circumcision on a Sunday morning. So thank you, Nathan. All right, so we are going to start breaking this apart. Um, we will start with verse 1. Now when Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless. Here's an in, that, that is an interesting phrase, walk before me and be blameless. It is important that we realize that God is not giving Abram a new instruction here. This is, this is more of a continue to do so. It's a continue to walk before me and be blameless. We already know that he's blameless because in chapter 15, it, it says that you know, God is walking through this covenant with Abraham, and it is said that Abram believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's already walking blameless. So this is more of a continue to do so. Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, verses 2 through 4 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Here's another important thing that we need to fully grasp to be able to understand chapter 17. This is not a new covenant. Uh, the Lord is not coming back to Abram and saying, hey, here's a brand new covenant. We're starting over. That's not what's happening. Uh, we know that because if we look at cha Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, and I'll read that here in a moment, you see the same verbiage being used. He's promised an heir. Now, of course, he already technically has an heir because they took it into his, their own hands, but that is not... That was not a part of God's plan. They're promised, he's promised an heir that will be more, more descendants of, than the stars in the sky, and he's promised the, this land. It's the same thing that, that's being, being brought forth here. Same exact covenant. Um, let me prove it to you. Chapter 15, verses 4 through 8 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, Abraham, or Abram at this point, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you were able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Same, same covenant, same promise. It's the same things are being promised. Descendants, land, it's, it's the same covenant. God does not, he does not start another covenant without fulfilling the, the one before it. And so the same as that covenant here. We move on to verses 5 through 8. And we get getting into more interesting things here. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations of you and kings will come forth. Again, just a, rem, a, a reminder of the same covenant that, are, that already exists. Here's the interesting thing about the name change. Um, it is very easy when we are going through going through the Bible to think, oh, that's definitely just a just a Christian thing, or that's just a Jesus thing. The name changing thing is, is not. This is a cultural thing uh, in, in that during that time. Anybody that changed rank, religion, status, whatever change that might go go on in your life could be subject to a name change. That looks different for every person. Sometimes that's taking a few letters away from your name. Sometimes that's adding a few letters to your name. Sometimes it's changing your name entirely. The interesting thing here is we see the Lord change Abram's name. Why is that? Well, he goes from Abram, which translated means high father or exalted father. And then he goes to Abraham, which translates to a father of many. Okay, so we have this promise that he will be a father to many. And and then the Lord comes and says, okay, now your name's going to be Abraham, which literally means father of many. Why is that? It wasn't, it's not like it was required for the promise to be true. It's interesting because everybody that would come after Abraham would see his name and go, father of many. And it would be a constant reminder of the promise that God is already walking out. Generations and generations after Abraham can go back and go, he went from Abram to Abraham. He is the father of many. And look at the fulfillment that God has done. Look at the fulfillment of the promise that God made. He is Abraham. He is father of many. So not just a, not just a Christian thing, uh, not just a Jewish thing. People were changing their names all the time in that in that in that culture in that in that time. Fun fact, totally random. When I I did not quite understand that this was a cultural thing of the time when I became a Christian. So for like months after I, I gave my life to Jesus, there were definitely moments where I was like, "Do I change my name?" Because I'm reading here, and I'm like, Abraham changed his name when this, with this covenant and all this crazy. I was like, like do, I, do I change my name? And then all my, all my friends started calling me Dill Bob. So I, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to change my name. So <laughs> uh, it was just a, a little fun fact there. Um, verses 9 through 14. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. and You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between you and me, and every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. And You get, you get it. We're, we're, we're going to cir- into circumcision here. Um, it's interesting. When I was given this assignment to go through Genesis 17, I was like, well... Never did I think I would have to do a sermon on circumcision, but here I am. Um, And it's a lot more interesting than you would think. So first off, we want to note that when when he mentions circumcision, he actually says it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He doesn't say 
this is the stipulation for the covenant. This is, this is the only way that you get, you're in the covenant, right? Um, the reason that we know this is the covenant already exists outside of circumcision. If it was, if circumcision was the covenant, then that's a little confusing because back in chapter 15, the covenant's made long before circumcision is even brought up, 13 years before circumcision is brought up. Also a fun fact, and I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but um, technically... I don't know if you guys remember last week, Nathan talked about, um, you know, chapter 15, where the covenant is given, and then Abram asks the Lord, how will I know that I will possess these things? And then these, the Lord says, bring me the uh, three-year-old heifer and bring me these animals, right? The Lord cuts them in half. There's this vision, or it may have actually happened. There, there's different views of, you know, the, the torch passing between the pieces and all, all of that. Here's something interesting. The covenant existed before any animals were even cut in half. Why do we know that? Because God is speaking to Abraham, and it is said, Abraham believes God, and it is reckoned to him as righteousness. Right there is a covenant. Before any animal blood was shed, that was a, that was a covenant. Here's why that's important, and I'll get into this later on as well. God does not need worldly things to make a covenant with us. They can be signed to the covenant, but he does not need the things of this earth to make a covenant with us. His word is covenant enough. He says, and it is true. We'll get into that a lot more later. But that's, that's, circumcision is not the covenant. It is a sign of the covenant. It is a, an effect of the covenant. Um, the scholars that I was reading to prepare for this put it this way. Circumcision is an outward example of, of a covenant that already stands with God's people. It already exists. Um, we as Christians have another thing that we, we phrase that same way. We, uh, we phrase baptism like that as well. Baptism is an outward example of something that's already happened on the inside, right? Something that's already exists within you. Um, obviously, baptism and circumcision are very different, very different things. Um, baptism is this picture of you dying to yourself, going to the water grave, and being raised with Christ, while circumcision is this, is this sign upon your flesh, that you are a part of God's covenant, his covenant with the Jewish people. Very different things, but same, same idea, right? So one of the other things that are interesting, and it's, this is a little more PG-13, but I, I've decided to go with it. Um, so one of the other things that we need to understand is the Lord is trying to preserve his people, the, the Jewish people. These are God's people. He's trying to preserve them, and he's trying to keep them pure. It's two things. Um, one, some scholars believe that this circumcision could have been to prevent certain diseases. There's not a lot to back that up, but that is a belief that is held. I just want you to know that. The other part, and I think that this is very interesting, and I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable. Um, he, the Lord is trying to preserve and purify a line, right? We know that we go from Abraham all the way to David, all the way to Jesus. There's a line that, is, that the Messiah has been promised to come through, right? He's preserving that line. Here's an interesting thing. Say that you are a Jewish couple. You've been given to marriage, and it is time to consummate that marriage. It is very easy for a Jewish woman to instantly know if a man is truly one of God's people before any impurity happens. Uh, and it preserves that purity of that line. A little PG-13, but it is important to understand that 
it is a way for God's people to remain pure. So not only does it allow them to remain pure, but it allows them to stand out. They are different. They are set apart. They've already been set apart by God's covenant. This is just an outward example on their flesh that they have been set apart. Here's a few more things about circumcision. And I honestly didn't believe I would talk this much about circumcision as I was doing this, but here I am. Um, Circumcision is not salvation. Please don't confuse that. Um, well, how do we know that? Well, only men can be circumcised. So does that mean that only, only men can be saved? Of course not. That's nonsense. Circumcision was never about salvation. God's covenant has always been by faith. We see that in chapter 15. It, Abraham, Abram believes and is reckoned to him as righteousness. It's always been by faith. Circumcision, like many things, is a result of the covenant. You say yes to God's covenant, and because of it, now you have an outward sign. How does that relate to us? Well, we believe in faith. We lay our lives down. We say yes to Jesus. However you want to phrase it, you come to the Lord. There are things that are expected of you at that moment. You're expected to love one another. Expected to be representatives of Christ, good representatives of Christ. You're called to gather with the saints. They're called to serve people. Just a few examples. Now, do any of those things save you? Do any of those things earn you your salvation? Of course not. But they are, they are an, a result of your sanctification. They are a result of your redemption. They are an effect of saying yes to Jesus. In the same way, circumcision is the same thing. It is a result of the covenant, but it's not the covenant. Now, all of us know that we're supposed to have good fruit, and that's it's called us. As Christians, we are supposed to be bearers of good fruit. Again, that it's an earn your salvation, but it is required of you. And if you are not bearing good fruit, you may have to examine yourself and be able to repent and turn away. In the same way, if you say yes to Jesus, or you say yes to God's covenant, you are to be circumcised, and it's a result of the covenant. From the beginning, all the way to this very moment, God's covenant has always been by faith. Nothing more, nothing less. There are tons of signs in the, in the Old Testament and the New that are responses to the faith, to, to, to God's covenant, but they're not, they're not a, an addition to it. It's actually interesting when you look at it this way. I think it's the book of Galatians where you've got uh, the Jews and the Christians and, and everybody going back and forth. And the, the Jewish people are trying to convince the, the Christians that, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is great, but also, also circumcision. You, you, can't, you can't just do it by faith. It's got to be circumcision and Jesus. Well, that kind of makes that point mute because the, the original covenant wasn't just, it wasn't just about circumcision. It was a, circumcision was a result of it, but it was always by faith. Let's move on to verses 15 through 16. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And so I'm shortening these verses just because uh, I, t- I timed this last night, and it's like 40, 45 minutes, so we're going we're gonna to get through this. Um, 
again, this is a normal practice in, in the Middle East for one to change their name or have it changed due to multiple reasons. Um, this is not just something weird or spiritual. This is just a normal thing that was happening at that time. Verse, verse 17, then Abram, or Abraham, I'm so used to calling him Abram at this point, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? Interesting thing. This is the second time in this chapter that it refers to him falling on his face. Um, it, I, I don't want to fall on my face once, let alone twice, but that's what he's doing. Obviously, this is a sign of reverence to the Lord. He's falling on his face. He's worshiping. This is a beautiful thing. Um, when we see this, he falls on his face and he laughs. This phrase could be interpreted a few different ways. Uh, it's important to understand that he is not mocking God. He's not laughing at God. He's laughing at the thought that he could have a son through his wife. It is a rejoicing. It, it is a, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to really, really fully explain, but I, I think we've all experienced that where something has happened and we are so giddy that we're, we can't even believe that it's, going, that it's happening. I felt, I felt that way when my, when my daughter was born. But just, just holding her going, I can't believe what God has done. It's that same attitude. We know that Abraham still believed in the promise of God. All the way back in 15, we saw that. Verses 18 through 19. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for, her, for his descendants after him. We are going to set up camp here for a second. Um, that's an interesting phrase. That was one of the first thing that caught my eye as I started going through chapter 17. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In order to truly understand what that phrase is getting at, we have to look at God's response to Abraham's request. So what is that response? No, but Sarah... Your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So what is Abraham trying to get after here? A few things to keep in mind. Ishmael, 13 years old at this point. Abraham loves Ishmael. It is his son. That you can tell that by the fact that he would even say, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It's, an, it's interesting to understand, there's a few ways to look at this. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It seems to indicate that Abraham wants Ishmael to be able to be a part of God's plan. And unfortunately, the Lord says no. And he reminds Abraham, this is the plan. That's, that's, it's important to understand that. And it also makes me laugh because... See, look, look, look how specific the Lord has gotten here. No, but Sarah, your wife, just in case you need, to, need, to, need a reminder, not your wife's maid, but your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. The Lord's getting very specific here. He was like, no, that we can't do that, but your wife will, will give you the promise that I've, that I've made to you. Then we move on, because then we see, we see the Lord say something regarding Ishmael. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, 
and I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. Let's understand this. Ishmael was not a part of God's plan. People get uncomfortable when you talk about children like this, but Ishmael, for all intents and purposes, was a mistake. Now, what gets me is that even though Ishmael was not a part of God's plan, God blesses Ishmael. Now, of course, Ishmael doesn't get to be a part of the promise that Isaac is, is going to be a part of, but he still blesses him. Ishmael was never intended. And God says, I'll bless him anyway. Why is that? Well, first, a few training thoughts here. One, Ishmael and Hagar never asked to be a part of this mess. Call it for what it is. Um, they were brought into this, so of course the Lord will have mercy upon them. But he doesn't just have mercy and grace upon Ishmael and Hagar. He has mercy and grace upon Abraham and Sarah as well. He doesn't walk away from them. He doesn't, he doesn't just crumble up the covenant and throw it in the trash and say, I'll find somebody else. He doesn't leave them, nor does he forsake them. He stays right there, and he gives them grace and mercy to the point where he's willing to bless Ishmael, even though he was never a part of the plan. So last week we talked about how Abraham and Sarah tried to take God's promise into their own hands and manufacture this promise. You know, Abraham, let go, go, into, go into Hagar, and you'll be, given, you'll be given a son through him. And then they, and Ishmael is born. Obviously, that's not what God asked of us, asked of them. Sometimes we have to wait upon more instruction from the Lord for him to, to walk out his promise instead of taking it into, into our own hands. Ishmael was never supposed to happen. He was a mistake. Abraham knew this to be true, but still loved Ishmael. You can tell this by his desire for Ishmael to be a part of God's plan. Here's a few things that hit me like a pile of bricks. Even though Abraham messed up, the Lord did not walk away from him. His promise remained. The Lord did not stop loving them. The Lord did not decide to, lo- to, to not love Hagar or Ishmael. He actually saw them and loved them. Now, there's a really beautiful part in there when Hagar flees from Sarai, and the angel of the Lord comes and says, I see you. They have, this is a woman that has been drugged into a situation she should have never been drugged into. She feels alone. She flees from her, from her master. And he says, I see you. Now go submit yourself back to Sarai. That is a beautiful thing. Even though Ishmael was never meant to be, the Lord blesses him. The Lord took a situation that was not meant to happen and made good come from it. He took a misstep on the path and found a way for his glory to be shown through it. Now let's get personal. How many of you here today have done something that was not a part of God's plan? Absolutely. How many of us have stepped off the path that God has set before us? All of us. I look back at my life and see the mistakes that I've made and the the moments where I thought my way was much higher than his way. And I ran off the path in the opposite direction. And I see those moments, and I look at where I am now, and I go, how does he do it? 
He brings glory. He doesn't only redeem me in the moment. He redeems my past. He allows me to use my past to bring him glory, to sow into the people around me and say, this is where I've been and this is where I've been redeemed. And he has the same redemption for you. How does he do it? It's by his amazing grace. Just because, this is important to understand, just because he can redeem a situation, just because he can redeem your past, doesn't mean that the consequences don't still exist. Let me explain. Abraham has been redeemed by faith. But there are still consequences that he has to deal with. Abraham has to live with the fact that Ishmael would never get to take part in the promise the way that Isaac is. Now, it's important to realize that Ishmael still gets to be a part of the covenant. He's still circumcised, but he's not a part of the plan like Isaac. Let me give you a more relatable example. Let's say you, let's say you were addicted to something, and it caused your relationships to be harmed. Let's say that you are so addicted to something that you end up in jail. Let's say in jail, Jesus finds you, and you bow your knee before him, and you're redeemed. You know what doesn't happen in that moment? Well, let's say what, let me tell you what does happen. You know what does happen in that moment? You're wiped clean. You're no longer held accountable for the mistakes that you've made through the faith that you have in Jesus. He's paid those debts for you. But you know what doesn't happen? That jail cell doesn't just swing open. Those relationships that you ruined don't just come back to you. And they may never. We serve a God of reconciliation, but that doesn't automatically mean that that things will just be reconciled to you. God can redeem you. He can redeem your past. But there are still consequences. Worldly mistakes have worldly consequences. And we have to pay that price. Praise the Lord that he gives us strength to, to go through that, though. Here's another thing to understand. Just because you, God can redeem you doesn't mean that he's not going to set you straight. Set Abraham straight. Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, no, absolutely not. But Sarah, your wife, very specific, will give you a son, and his name will be Isaac. You, we don't get to walk away from a situation and say, the Lord's got it, and not deal with the consequences, not admit that we were wrong, not, be, not turn away and repent from that. It's not this magical thing. It's this process of saying, I have stepped away from the path. I did not let his word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I've stumbled away. I recognize that. I repent. I turn away from that, and I go back to where I'm supposed to be. The Lord might have a few words for you, but he has an abundance of grace and mercy for you as well. So we're talking about grace here, so I want to touch, I want to touch on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, because this is the power which, that the Lord uses to, to really do the, these things. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. Okay. We're talking about grace. 
I want to jump into Romans chapter, into chapter 5, into Romans chapter 6 as well, because it gives us a better idea of this, this grace. Um, side note, I hate that they, took, they put a divide between the end of Romans 5 and the beginning of Romans 6. It makes zero sense, because these, these flow into each other, which when Paul wrote them, it was all one letter. So thank you for dividing it weirdly, people that built the Bible. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 5, verses 20 through 21 says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll continue to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's important to understand that even though God can redeem you and he can redeem your past and he can bring glory from the mistakes that you've made, it doesn't mean to make more mistakes. We as believers are charged with living lives that are glorifying to the Lord, being representatives of Jesus. We are going to fail constantly. (laughs) Don't I know it? Um, and his grace is sufficient, but we can't use that as a license to do what we want. And sometimes we're guilty of that. I've met many of people that when confronted regarding their sins, they're just like, God's got it. His grace is good. It's not how that works. We are called to live holy and set apart, just as the Jewish people. It is grace that saves us, but we can't use that as a reason to do what it is that we want because we're going to end up in a really dangerous place. The Lord can redeem you, and he can redeem your past, and he can make it for his glory, but what does this require? It requires a faith, real, patience-filled faith, faith that waits for the Lord to fulfill his promises instead of trying to force them. It requires humility. The kind of humility that allows you to see when you have stepped outside of the Lord's path and allows you to admit to your mistakes requires repentance, the ability to turn away from the wrong path and step back onto the right one. In this situation, how are we like Abraham and Sarah? Like them, we also try and take matters into our own hands. I'm guilty of it. Like them, we think the promises of God should run on our timetable. Let's be honest. In that 13 years between Ishmael being born and God coming to talk to them again, you know that they're like, taking a little while, Lord. I I thought we had an agreement. We all do that. We take the promises of God and say, well, this should happen this year. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. He knows what's best for us. We need to trust that. And like them, we sometimes want our mistakes to work within God's plan. Sometimes it's hard to make a mistake and then say, well, um, probably not what God wanted. And then we want to try to make it work within what God has done. Sometimes it can. Sometimes the Lord blesses that like he does Ishmael and says, you know, this is what's going to happen. may not be perfectly a part of the plan, but it is somewhere in there, right? Sometimes we mess up so bad that God's like, I'll redeem you, but that's not coming. We've been talking about 
threats to the covenant um, as we work our way through Genesis. And this was an interesting one to really kind of decide what the threat is here. Um, I think that the threat, and as in all of Genesis, is it's the human condition. We have, specifically, it's our desire to go back and try to fix our mistakes, right? Not go to Jesus and say, hey, like, I messed up. Like, can you fix this? But go back and try to do it ourselves. I'm guilty of that. I'm a very hard-headed person and really suck at asking for help. So, like, when something happens, my instant thought is, what can I do to fix this? When it really should be, man, I, what, what kind of time do I have to sit down and bring this to the Lord? Because I can't fix this. But that's, that's, our, that's our condition. We think that we can go back and try to fix things. You see that with Abraham. Ishmael, a mistake, not supposed to happen. Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Let this be a part of this thing. Sorry. It's not a part of the plan. God still blesses that. He still redeems that. That's beautiful. But that's a threat to the covenant. Abraham and Sarah could have very well, in the 13 years between when Ishmael was born and the Lord came back to them, they could have tried to continue to push God's promise. I'm sure she had more than one maid. I mean... um, God said that he would have more descendants than all, all the stars in the sky, right? They could, have, they could have taken it more into their hands. Luckily, they didn't. I don't know too many people that learned from their lesson the first time, but kudos to them. Um, but that could have been a threat to the covenant. This will not be the last time that we speak about people in the Bible that are threats to God's will or his covenant. And today will not be the last time that we, as his body, get in the way of his will or his promises. We constantly walk off the path that he set for us as we struggle to walk through this broken world. But please remember, Jesus has overcome this world, and his grace abounds. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of our craziness and our ridiculousness, your grace abounds. We thank you that you are holy and righteous and that you are a loving father. We thank you that you will not leave us nor forsake us. And then we ask that you give us a newfound hunger to bring you glory in everything that we do. And let us understand that even if we're walking in shame in this moment because of choices that we've made, that your grace abounds. Your grace is sufficient. I pray that everyone here knows your love and your peace and they know the desire that you have for none of them to perish but to all to come into your glory and to your righteousness. Father, we, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.